praise. We're going to go to God's word now together. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open it with me to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 4, 5, and 6. So for a couple of months now, we've been working our way through 1 John in what we call an inductive Bible study, which is just uh, trying to draw out of God's word uh, what he has to say for us and just kind of understand it as we go through it. As we looked at the book of 1 John, I could put people on the spot. I actually have some people in the room here tonight, but we've looked at uh, a what major heresy, uh, and the, the heresy that John is combating here is Gnosticism, which has to do with the idea that uh, knowledge of the gospel and Christ as he's revealed in the word of God isn't enough, that we need some secret higher knowledge. And this Gnosticism attacks our security or our confidence in our relationship with Christ, and because of this, John writes to help these people know how they can know if they know Christ. So he's seeking to answer the question, not how do we come to know Christ, which is through faith in Christ, but he's asking a separate question, which is how can we know if we know Christ, or how can we know that we know Christ? Now, in our text today, these three verses, John digs into one of three tests that he gives us in this book to help us understand how we can know if we know Christ. Now, those three tests are the truth test, the life test, and the love test. The truth, the life, the love test. The truth test uh, addresses it this way. It says, do you believe the truth about Jesus Christ as he is revealed to us in the word of God? In other words, do you believe the gospel that God has given to us in his word? The truth test. The second test is the life test. In other words, could we look at your life and does it reveal to us the character of Christ? Does your life show that you're a Christian? And the third test is the love test. And this has to do with, do you love the family of God? Or as uh, John often puts it in his book here, do you love the brothers and sisters? So we have commands in God's word to generally love everyone, to love our neighbor as ourselves, very clear. Here he's spe speaking specifically, do you have relationships within the family of God? So as we track through, we'll read verses 4, 5, and 6, and we'll see which one of these three tests he's addressing for us this evening. So 1 John 3, verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Well, if you track through this at all, just kind of what John is saying here, he's clearly addressing test number two, that is the life test. Does our life show that we know Jesus? Now, if we look at verse four, he says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Now, the Bible uh, defines sin a number of different ways, but here in verse four, how is it that John defines sin? Well, clearly as lawlessness. Well, what is lawlessness? Well, naturally, we think of it as law-breaking or breaking the law. And that, that's what we would think, and, and it can certainly include that. But it's actually a good bit broader than that in Scripture. It's not really used that way in, scripture, in, in the New Testament. So it's not primarily talking about law-breaking. Rather, it's talking about submitting to a higher power, a sinful, lawless higher power that we shouldn't submit to. Uh, it's what you might call anarchy or not acknowledging any authority in the world. Uh, we don't have to look very far in our culture right now to see that there is a lot of lawlessness, a lot of anarchy. 
And it's a failure to submit ultimately to God's authority. Uh, what we see observed right now is a failure to submit to much human authority. But also, what he's talking about here is, is a, uh, the, the idea that there is no higher power, no higher authority. He says sin is lawlessness. Sometimes uh, the good old King James translation uh, for this is iniquity. So iniquity is lawlessness. So how is it that this manifests itself in our lives? Well, for us, it's idolatry. It's replacing God's kingship, God's right to rule over the universe, and placing ourselves on the throne of our lives and, and over our decisions. It's rejecting the idea that there's a supreme being who makes and decrees what is, and it's the idea that we are supreme. Well, if we look just a couple of verses down in verse 8, we can better understand this definition of sin. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So, ironically, lawlessness, which is a failure to submit to godly authority, is actually submitting to a different authority. And the way that verse 8 puts it is to the devil. So what do you think it means when, when uh, John says that we shouldn't make a practice of sinning? He's clearly talking about a life characterized by sin. So, if we make a practice of sinning, we don't know Christ... Does this create any problems for us? Well, if your life is like mine, it creates a lot of problems. Because, well, I would like to think I don't practice sinning. I'm pretty good at it because I practice it a lot. I mean, as, uh, as we walk through life, sin is something that is common to all people. So how do we begin to think through this? Well, let's look at verse 5. He says, You know that he, that is Jesus Christ, appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. So what does this verse teach us about why Jesus came? He came to take away sin, to remove sin. But it's interesting because the Bible here refers to sin in a way that it doesn't often. It doesn't talk about sin. It talks about what? Sins. Plural. Specific sins. So he's not just talking about the power of sin. So Paul in his letters often talks about the power of sin. So in Romans chapter 6, he says that God frees us from the power of sin in our lives. Paul here, or sorry, John here is specifically talking about sins, the consequences, the specific sinful acts and the consequences of those acts. Jesus came to remove this. So Jesus comes to remove sins and the consequences of these sins. But he also teaches us something about the nature of Christ here. And what is that? That there is no sin in Christ. So what's the connection between Jesus' mission, remove sins, and Jesus' nature, no sin in him. Well, I've never done one of these because I have absolutely no desire uh, to get my exercise this way. But I do know people who love mud runs. I'm not one of them. I would avoid them at all costs because the idea of uh, mud in every nook and cranny just sounds terrible. But if you imagine with me that, uh, I don't know, this weekend, Saturday morning, there's a mud run. We're all diving, sliding mud. What can you not do to clean that mud off. You can't ask someone with muddy hands to clean the mud off. The person who cleans you off or the object or the thing that you use to clean off must be what? Different. It must not have that soil on it. Typically, you just get hosed down with a fire hose or water or something like that. Jesus can remove sin because he himself is sinless. If he were tainted by sin, if he himself were uh, to kind of carry it on, if, if he had been through the mud, he, he couldn't 
cleanse our mud. He couldn't remove our sin. So this is why 1 John 1, 9 is true. If we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we keep on sinning, how does that relate to the purpose for which Jesus came? The, the purpose for which he died? Well, it's at odds with it, isn't it? Jesus died to remove sin, so if we keep on sinning, it's against the purpose of his coming. Therefore, those who follow Jesus shouldn't sin or keep on sinning. So, where should we look or to whom should we look for a model of what it looks like to live the Christian life? Jesus Christ. It's what John talks about in, if you, if you back up a chapter, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the one we look to. So, if we look to him, and as verse 6 states it, we abide in him. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. And no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So what does this verse teach us about those who follow Jesus? They don't keep on sinning. In fact, the text actually says, no one who abides in him sins. So what if you do keep on sinning? Or what if you do sin? He says, you don't follow Jesus. You've neither seen him or known him. So how in the world are we to make sense of this? If, if we sin, we don't know Jesus, and we all have to admit that we do sin. How does this connect to what came before? Jesus came to do what with sin? Remember the verse, verse 5? What did he come to do? He came to remove sins. So if we sin, was Jesus not successful? Or what about this? What about the fact that we all still sin? I mean, there, there's no one who gets around this. In fact, John has already mentioned this. If you back up two chapters, First uh, John 1 verse 10, he says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So we've got an impossible paradox. If we sin, we don't know Jesus, but we've all sinned, and if we deny it, we don't know Jesus. So what's the problem? We must live in Christ and his sinlessness. In other words, it's not about our sinlessness ultimately. It's about abiding in Christ. That's what he talks about here in verse 10. Verse 6, abide in him. So in Christ, it's as if we haven't sinned. God justifies us through the blood of Christ. So sinning while in Christ is as if we're not sinning because who got judged for our sin? Jesus. But if we are in Christ, we won't continually habitually live in, live in sin. In other words, those who continue to live willfully in sin demonstrate that they aren't in Christ because if we're in Christ, we'll take on Christ's character. So the point isn't that believers don't sin. The point is that believers repent when they sin because they know that's not the character of Jesus. So that's why 1 John 1, 9, when we sin, we confess our sin. And then God is faithful and just and he forgives our sins. And not only that, he is the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sin. So, we've got a problem. We're all sinners. Sinners don't know God, but through Christ, we can know God. You cannot reconcile these verses without Jesus Christ removing sins. But when he removes sin and the penalty and consequences of sin, we can live a life then that shows that we know God because we live life like Christ. That's how we know if we know we live like Christ because Christ has cleansed our sin.